Welcome to another Monday edition of Splash Play Spags. It's time to pick up the pieces from week two. Yeah, we have an impossible amount to talk about with all the injuries and news that went on yesterday's games. So we'll give you guys the most in-depth recap you will find out there from a, a fantasy football slash betting podcast. And of course, it is Monday Night Football today. So we're going to give you guys a ride or die picks. And we're also going to talk about the upcoming guest spots from one of you out there, a viewer of Splash Play who will be on this show. It's exciting times, Pete. So let's hit that intro. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Splash Play, the fantasy football podcast for every game under the sun. And I am Chris Spaggs once again here with my good friend and yours, Peter Overzet. Pete, how was your week? Was it a profitable one? I feel like it's the first question to ask because now you are a full-time tout given your right-before-game takes, and we got to really keep you accountable, I think, to see if you're really doing what everybody thinks you're doing. Yes, it, it actually was a profitable week for me. Uh, I felt so shitty at lock yesterday because I was trying to finalize my three to four single entry lineups and I legitimately messed one up. I was like trying to get my puzzle pieces together of like the correlations and stacks I wanted. And I just ran out of time and had to submit a Jalen Hurts unstacked lineup. And it ended up being my best lineup of the day. So I felt like legitimately awful for the first couple hours because I'm just like, we spend all week preparing for this slate and I can't even submit the lineup I intended <laughs> to submit. Uh, but then it ended up doing pretty well and I took advantage of, of a lot of the late swap options. So yeah, I ended up doubling up on my GPP entries, which is, is pretty good when you consider it. And I punted off $200 in a board Ape NFT qualifier. So all in all, uh, a good week for me. It was all downhill for me after I was in first place and, and Pete's deposit kingdom GP Pete uh, was in the first place, I think through most of the early games. And then once the late games hit boy, things really went off the deep end for me, but 25% return of my funds to, to get really donating to all the DraftKings people out there in the hopes that they can have their GPP wins is what I'm going to view it as, but we'll talk more about it as we go. But of course we are here for you guys every single Monday, Thursday and Friday, two 30 Eastern 11 30 Pacific time. So please join us here live in the chat and also make sure you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts and give us five stars and a review. As I mentioned up top, we are going to have you guys out there giving us five stars and a review on Apple Podcasts, a chance to be a guest here on Splash Play. And it's something I guess Pete and I could talk about in a second. We'll figure out what we're going to do the first one, but we're going to do it regularly. So this is something that's exciting to me. I know we have a great community out there. Pete has done a lot of the legwork here building the community. Now we can coast on those laurels and get you guys onto the show. So go find us on Apple Podcasts, give us five stars and a review. And, and shout out to everybody out there who's already doing it because they definitely have uh, helped move the needle a little bit on our ratings, Pete. And it's exciting. I know you know your audience better than I do. And uh, some of the folks that are really dedicated, do you think this is going to be a positive experiment for us or a negative one? No, I think it'll be good. I, uh, I trust, uh, this community. And I also am very quick on the trigger finger. If someone gets unruly, I just eject them. So yeah, I'm, uh, I'm excited about that. And also I am tossing in, uh, we're going to give away two randomizer boxes right. as well to splash play viewers who leave an iTunes review. It does take a few days for those to populate. So make sure you get those in now so we can get you included in these future drawings. And the goal will be Pete, I guess, what do you think is a better day to do a guest Monday or Thursday, which sounds the more appealing to you? I feel like Thursday would be a good day to have a guest on. We could build that gives us the flexibility to build oh, a yes. showdown and or main slate lineup with them, which I think would be fun. 
Okay, so we'll shoot for next Thursday. It'll be the first guest spot. And we're going to have, obviously, we, we do the show every week. So we'll have unlimited guest spots to give away. So keep leaving those five stars and review on Apple Podcasts. Leave your ad handle as well. So we have some way to reach out to you on there. Also, make sure you are going to footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe to get very affordable data package in your life that'll give you an insight to DVOA as well as all the other great data they have on there. Go check them out, footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. And, and also go to edjsports.com where the matchups page is a great tool to compare lines relative to the 100,000 simulations they are running for every single game, but also some interesting insights. And it's actually one, Pete, that I was thinking about sending a DM to our pal Arif, who uh, was one of our favorite splash play guests last year. We also had a fantastic showing and rider die picks. And Pete, if you had to guess, I guess why I would reach out to Arif based off of edge sports data that does look at games after the fact and try to determine coach moves that are bad, player moves that are bad. Why would you think I might've wanted to reach out to Arif with something interesting? Uh, because Arif is a huge uh, Vikings fan and covers the team, and I, I assume it has something to do with the Vikings. So apparently Mike Zimmer is just, from what I learned from our, our senior management call today and then just them talking through everything, Mike Zimmer is apparently one of the worst coaches in the league in terms of making the decisions that actually add to win probability. And the way they view it is like win probability is basically you have, you know, 100 chips at the start of the game, and every action you make, you're either giving chips, you're taking chips away, or you're, you're risking them basically, kind of like a poker game would be. And Mike Zimmer, uh, all the coaching decisions they sent out to the NFL media. Mike Zimmer, number one for the worst coaching decision, punting on a fourth and six. Mike Zimmer, number two for another decision, minus 6% win percentage. And Mike Zimmer, number five for a minus 5%. So basically, if you point out, you know, the plus EV approach that for anything that you would see out there does seem Pete. Mike Zimmer guy, I hold it to Steve in my head. And now I'm like, have I just been wrong this entire time about Mike Zimmer? And you know what? I think that would have and it probably is flying under the radar a little bit because of that egregious Houston Texans thing where they had the penalty and they choose to, to make it fourth and two and punt instead of making it third and 10 for another shot at it. So I feel like all the heat on coaches is heading uh, to Houston right now. And Zimmer is, uh, you know, skating by, but not, anymore not until spags exposes him on splash play <laughs> yeah, that's what it's all about i'm the woodward and bird scene of using the data for the job i work at that i barely understand <laughs> to take down all these coaches but an interesting little wrinkle there and we're going to figure out some other ways to get that data out to the people but if you want to go see some of the stuff some of the bonehead coaching moves that go out there uh follow at edj sports on twitter you can see the things our social media team's doing over there but pete we got a lot of games to hit on here and a lot of injuries for week two so i'll ask people to hit the like button on youtube and hopefully it'll bring some good luck to these various broken quarterbacks and first one up to a rib injury negative on his MRI looks like uh, moving forward for him the quote is that it's going to be about his pain tolerance moving forward which can always be a risky proposition depending on the player uh, we saw Jacoby Brissett come in for basically a, a league average a replacement level 40 passes he threw without Tua but Pete this has been one of our big debates in the offseason Tua whether he's going to be able to take the jump or not and I think the jury's been out for sure on him so far but an injury to a guy who's had a history of, of injuries as well how does it make you feel about your two as shares moving forward and just the risk profile that might come with it? Well, first of all, I'm, I'm, I feel good considering I thought there was a chance he might be out for the season. You just mm -hmm. never know when those injuries happen and the cart comes out and you just with, like you said, with a guy like Tua who has a long injury history, if they said, you know, he's out for the season, you're like, uh, okay. Uh, so just the fact that it seems like he'll be back, uh, relatively soon is good. I I'm in this spot now with Tua where I feel like I'm always making excuses for him. Uh, but it's also lots of things keep happening. I also think playing the Patriots and the bills to start without Will Fuller, uh, is not like the best conditions, but eventually we run out of, 
you know, excuses for this. But if we can get him back healthy, it looks like Fuller's going to be back in the lineup. He was back at practice after he scared us last week. Uh, so, yeah, I, I just want him to have a clean shot at this starting job. Uh, and if he's not good, he's not good. But let's not let injuries and super bad matchups be the reason why we uh, bury Tua. Do you think that if Tua does miss a little bit of time, like let's say he doesn't feel comfortable going full for a few weeks, do you think Jacoby Brissett can hold it down well enough? Because I have to say I was um, intrigued by the passing volume he had. He has had some days of usefulness back when he was on the Colts roster and think in particular the ones you could point to. And I guess, would you really downgrade the Dolphins receivers? Or do you think that he can kind of keep it afloat enough if Tua does miss some extended time? Yeah, that's a. I, I do think Jacoby Brissett is one of the better backup quarterbacks in the league. I think it's still a, a slight downgrade to them more because they might just philosophically run the ball even more, mm. uh, in that. But I do agree with you that, uh, I don't think that these options would just plummet in value with Brissett there. I think what happens is like the ancillary guys take even more of a hit where it's like, maybe if the offense is humming, you get the big spike weeks from a couple of them, but like the Gesicki's and, you know, uh, those guys might take even more of a hit. If you have a, a Jacoby like quarterback who just dials in on one or two of his options. Yeah. So definitely something to watch here. And we'll update you guys later in the week when we should get a little more of a read on what Tua's outlook will be moving forward. Another QB injury. Andy Dalton does not have an ACL injury, but it seems close to it. And, and Pete, I know you follow a lot of the news very closely for the work you do for fantasy life, putting out the newsletter um, every single day now. So that's uh, definitely a lot of injuries that poor Pete has to be managing, like, like an injury doctor would be, but without any of the medical credentials And this spot for Dalton, I, to me, it kind of seems like the most stared injury where we talked about on the show and they're like, it's not an ACL injury, but like, oh, uh, we're going to keep researching it like that really raises my antenna for this kind of situation so i would say justin fields if he's somehow available in your league i think i'm ready to go there but it does seem like pete we're going to get a shot at justin fields being in the mix and he didn't look great yesterday but i think we have to know that better times will be coming yeah i uh <laughs> i i get lazy with the injuries on mondays because there's so much and basically mm -hmm. it's like we don't know anything until like thursday maybe friday practice that's when the alarm bells start ringing so today i just posted all the names with no further uh analysis of what was going on but yeah i saw that with andy dalton this feels to me like it could be the kind of Herbert to Rod Taylor situation where it's like just enough of a window to give the team the full excuse to go to Justin Fields. And the fact that he rushed, I believe it was 10 rush attempts mm -hmm. in that game. I mean, that speaks to kind of the ceiling we're hinting at here. And I think another good comparable would be, you know, Jalen Hurts last year where he comes in, He's creating all kinds of fantasy value because he's rushing a ton, but it is a little rocky because he is still getting his sea legs as a starting quarterback. So that's kind of the trajectory I envisioned for Justin Fields. But the fact that we're getting him out here sooner rather than later means to me, maybe he can put it all together by the fantasy playoffs to where he's just a fantasy monster. Whereas with Hertz, it happened so late in the season, it was kind of rocky all coming together for him. Yeah, and it's worth pointing out now, Chicago, apparently only 20 implied points on the books. Uh, they are a seven point, actually might be a seven and a half point underdog here to Cleveland. But Cleveland, we've seen give up a lot of production, including to Houston. You know, uh, really, I think there's room here for Justin Fields to kind of find his depth in this spot against Cleveland. And honestly, if you're a person that does like taking an early betting line in the hopes that an Andy Dalton doesn't play, I think taking Chicago to cover right now is one bet that I wouldn't mind making. And I, I'm with you. I think Justin Fields, he just needs the opportunity and him rushing, being a deep ball thrower. Those are all things that we hold up in some degree of esteem and how we approach things here on splash play so we'll see how that goes you mentioned this guy people tyrod taylor left with a hamstring issue seems like he's going to be out for thursday deshaun watts is still deactivated so we are getting uh, one of the unheralded rookie qbs and davis mills going to be getting a lot more run it seems and 
I guess, what do you think about this? Because Tyrod looked really good. Even the play, I think, right before he got hurt, had that little uh, sideline teetotaling kind of move into the end zone. He's been solid for them, and it does seem like Tyrod going out again. A, just, I'll say, really sad for Tyrod. Like, two straight years of him getting hurt early, and he's looked good at least this year. We didn't really see a lot of him last year. Yeah, it's funny. I think we all collectively probably dismissed the Texans too much heading into this season just because on paper they looked like such, um, I don't know, a, an untalented team relative to the less, rest of the league. And I wonder if, as I think about it, if the common or, or the unique factor here is just what veterans they all are, right? Like when you have guys like Terod Taylor, you know, I talked to Chris Codley, who's a, who's a vet. Brandon C Cooks is one of the most, you know, professional veteran receivers in the league, Mark Ingram. Like, I wonder if that really raised their floor, just like these guys know what the kind of requirements are to be, you know, successful in the NFL. And, and maybe they're kind of dragging along their talent level with just their experience. That's just a random tangent tangent i had uh but yeah i think it's it might be very rough going with a rookie quarterback and a lack of talent yeah i agree and i think you know that was something that i know that our football outsider seaman mentioned for dvoa for houston why they had maybe been a little more bullish on him and they actually have covered now two straight weeks so something to keep in mind there that maybe that could keep up uh but houston is bringing in league average players is apparently a pretty big improvement on where they were last year especially on defense so you can maybe say the same things for the receivers though uh, nico collins going to be hurt damian danny amendola also hurt so we'll see how that kind of affects the wide receiver room there but uh, maybe more of pete's good pal chris conley we'll see but i agree just having league average guys it might mean that Houston is going to have some weeks they're in competitive in games that you wouldn't expect it. And I think for me, they are a team that the, the public consensus is still down on them enough that I don't mind just taking them to cover some games uh, here early on. Uh, Panthers, even it's about to give Davis Mills a rough Thursday. Yeah, Panthers will look really good, Pete. We're not talking about them yet. I guess we could sort of talk about it here. Like Darnold's looking good. The defense is looking good. The team is looking kind of like a, a whiff here of maybe a team that could have probably not winning the NFC South given how good the Bucks are. But the Panthers could be something interesting. Yeah, uh, I think they're a super fun team. I was writing this morning how hilarious it is that DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson have fully flipped roles now once again. You know, Robbie Anderson's back to his super high ADOT. I believe he had the highest ADOT in the league so far through two weeks, although I assume Cortland Sutton giving him a run for his money after yesterday as well. Uh, and now uh, DJ Moore looking great underneath yards after the catch. They have all the weapons. And I, I saw Levitan had a tweet about Darnold too, where it's like, I think we still have, it's a little tricky to untangle is Sam Darnold hashtag good, but it is very clear that when you remove him from New York and Adam Gase and the lack of weapons there, that he's an entirely different player and can be very competent in, in this offense. Uh, I was going to lead off with the Baltimore Kansas City game because obviously that's a big one, but let's talk about this New Orleans Carolina game because I think there are some interesting things for fantasy. Um, one of my rider die picks that we talked about on Friday with Pat Corain, of course, of NBC Sports Edge and the Ship Chasing Podcast. You should be checking out if you're you're not already uh, from Pete's various network of shows. But Jameis, I thought really was going to be somebody useful. I thought he could throw for over four touchdowns here, and maybe it's a lack of weapons. Maybe it's Jameis still, you know, kind of adjusting to the fact that he can't be the the full forcing it downfield thrower he has been in other stuff. But 11 for 22 for him, 111 yards and no touchdowns. While Sam Darnold on the other side, again, looks like a world beater once more. Is this something for you, Pete, where you're willing to downgrade Jameis moving forward? Or is it just that I think it's just a feeling out process where he's going to have to figure it out. And it doesn't help, obviously, to have really no weapon that would even be above a wide receiver four on most teams. It feels like with that Saints wide receiver core. Yeah. And, you know, another harsh reminder of how preseason can really fool us. I mean, Marquez Calloway, who looked like the second coming of, you know, Jerry Rice there for a stretch in the preseason has been very, very quiet 
these first two weeks. And like you said, he just does not have a lot of weapons. It's been hard for this entire offense to get going. Even Alvin Kamara, really underwhelming. So yeah, I think these weren't the greatest. Um, this wasn't the greatest spot for them. I know Nick has been obviously very big on the Panthers defense, and I think they are going to be very solid this year. Uh, as Nick mentions here, pressured on 78% of plays. So uh, that kind of stuff is always given Winston you know, trouble under pressure, you know, making panic throws. So I bet he's a little in his head. I think probably more than anyone, right? He's, he knows Taysom Hill is right over his shoulder if he messes up. And I wonder if that's leading to him playing a little bit more conservative uh, and just not being quite as dynamic as we might've hoped. Yeah, I think it's a reasonable take here where, you know, Jameis is, I'm sure, aware of his flaws for as much as Jameis maybe doesn't seem like the most self-aware person historically. I think um, after having that year on the bench, I would agree that I think he's probably playing a little close, too close to the best. And maybe Sean Payton at some point is like, look, we did, we're not starting you to be Taysom Hill who can't run. Like, we're starting you to be Jameis and get the ball downfield. So a team to watch here and definitely not a great showing. But part of it could be the Carolina defense that I know from last week was also one of the top DVOA performers, according to Football Outsiders as well. Uh, let's talk about the big Sunday night game, Pete. And I guess first question to ask because you do become a sleepy boy sometimes for Sunday night football given your your workload of content on a Sunday did you make it for the whole game I did actually make it for that whole game I uh I it was my first showdown slate of the year where I got back to my 20 max uh ways so mm -hmm. I was I was sweating that I had some like er, a bunch of Devin Duvernay and Darrell Williams lineup so when I got those early touchdowns I was locked in more so than I am in my sleepy boy mode <laughs> Baltimore stole the 136-35. Lamar looks spry. Marquise Brown. I think this is an interesting fact here. He had 113 yards, six catches, 10 targets. Unfortunately, did not finish as a showdown winning captain thanks to Byron Pringle scoring a TD and some other guys performing too well, but had a fantastic game. Pete, this is Marquise Brown's second game over 100 yards since week one of last season, which is an outlandish thing to think about given Marquise Brown. We all think of deep target guy. Lamar certainly throws it deep here and there, but I feel like they're really looking in sync this year in a way that if you are in a league where somebody's like, hey, I'm willing to trade Marquise Brown in this, you know, whatever deal for whomever, I would take Marquise Brown because I think at least until Bateman comes into the mix here, like Brown seems like the alpha number one receiver in a way he has not seen the last few years. Yeah, and there were there were hints all offseason that the Ravens were going to be a little bit more pass heavy this year in drafting Rashad Bateman in the first round. They clearly wanted to get Lamar some more weapons in the pass game. Uh, Marquise Brown, also a first round pick. I mean, this is a talented dude who I think has gotten a little bit of a negative connotation as being an injured boom bust, you know, receiver type. Um, but then they lose all of their running backs, you know, in the in the preseason and at the start of the season and with Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins being out. So why wouldn't you air it out? And then you see Lamar Jackson looking like Mahomes out there making these jump passes. And uh, yeah, I think they would do well to continue to lean on that. I mean, if Bateman is as good as his prospect profile would indicate, and then you have Bateman, Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews, like that's as good as a top three pass catching kind of triumvirate as you'll see out there in the league. Yeah, and I would say too, Sammy Watkins, I think didn't have the best day yesterday, but it's still mostly in the mix here. Uh, seven targets per game compared to eight targets per game for Brown. I think he's a perfectly fine wide receiver too. If, if Bateman maybe doesn't have the initial jump that we would have liked to have seen based off his college numbers, but I mean, there's a pathway here for Baltimore to be good. And they're going to be good too. I think in a way that is not going to be as run focused as they have been in the past. Obviously Lamar is going to run a bunch, but I don't think they need to you know necessarily rely on Tyson Williams or Latavius Murray to squeeze the air out of the ball because Marquise Brown, you know, 
the vibe is there. The, the results are there so far. And I, I think I am a big believer on them moving forward. And I think you saw in this game, Pete, from the Kansas City side, that worries you. It feels like Tyreek Hill having the down day. It's going to happen from time to time when teams are scheming for him. Travis Kelsey, I don't know that anybody can really stop Travis Kelsey in the league at this point, especially when you do have Tyreek Hill out there, you know, drawing a good amount of that, that exposure away from him. But how did you feel about the Chiefs? Because I they didn't deserve to lose that game, I don't think. I think it's just more that Baltimore went out there and won it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The chief's usage was, uh, was interesting. This was, uh, the first week I think <laughs> that, uh, Michael Hardman has ever led the, uh, the team in targets there, which probably was a product, like you said, of the team, you know, putting extra attention on Tyreek. And I think we've seen this play out too, where Tyreek goes for those explosive games. And then the team the next week is watching the film and they're like, we refuse to let Tyreek Hill beat us. And then the team kind of beats you in other ways. So I don't think it was, it's too alarming for Tyreek at all. Uh, I think it's more interesting for Michael Hardman, a guy I am uh, heavily invested in full disclosure, but I love seeing him running more routes than Demarcus Robinson. I love seeing him lead the team in targets. So I, I, I saw someone make a comparison that Michael Hardman right now is kind of like one of those rookie wide receivers where he's like flashing and you, you're hopeful that he can deliver on this promise. He's not a guy you can just plug into your lineup every week and forget it. But I do think there's the potential for him to get there. Yeah. And I would say too, you know, the fact you look at his intended touches where they're trying to give him the ball, basically 13% of the time he's out there when he's out there, you know, for a snap or uh, just in general, you know, that's right behind Tyree kill at 20%, uh, Travis Kelsey, 15% of the snaps that he's out there. They're trying to give him the ball. So like, he's definitely a cut ahead to Marcus Robinson. Like you mentioned, Byron Pringle as well, who did have kind of that luck box slant for a touchdown yesterday. I'm with you that Hardman's going to have some better days. And I, I think, you know, it wouldn't be shocking to see him have some approximation of Tyreek Hill upside, even if not, not getting all the way there. Um, another big one, big result here. What I will talk about the biggest performances in up top, but Derrick Henry, 35 carries 182 yards and three touchdowns, six catches for 55 yards as well on six targets and a comeback win over Seattle. And Pete, we made the joke when we had Pat Corain on, I think he had, uh, I think he had picked Derrick Henry to score under 10 fantasy points. And we'll talk about the rider die picks in a second, but Derrick Henry, I feel like this is the volatility where you're going to see week to week. And, and if you're the Titans, I don't know how you don't just give him this volume and hope it works out because clearly this is when the team looks the best is Derrick Henry doing his things. You know, he'll always break a play long in any given game. And I thought he single-handedly really won them that game besides obviously not kicking the field goal himself at the end. Yeah. And I mean, uh, we want to talk about how fragile season long projections are. I mean, if he continues to get this kind of pass work, you know, if he's getting five to six catches a game on, you know, six to seven targets, I mean, he can legitimately challenge Christian McCaffrey as one of the top overall running backs because we know he has the explosive big playability. We know he's going to get the volume. We know he's going to get the goal line carries. And then you toss in, uh, you know, high efficiency screen game targets. Uh, it could be full blast off season for Derrick Henry. And in most projections wisely weren't accounting for him to have five or six catches because we've seen year after year, the team just being like, no, we're not going to do that. So that's going to be, what's really interesting to me is to see, is this kind of a new part of his role going forward? Or was this some kind of game plan aberration? Uh, the one thing though, we know for sure though, is in DFS, the, the crowd is very willing to go right back to Derrick Henry after a big week. So I, I assume he's going to catch pretty big ownership this week, uh, but he legit might be worth it if he's catching passes now. 
Yeah, we'll see Tennessee this week coming up against Indianapolis. We'll talk more about that later in the week, but certainly a matchup I agree that could set up well as Derrick Henry chalk. And then maybe that's the week that A.J. Brown finally does something useful. And Julio Jones was the top wide receiver scorer in that game as well. The Seattle side, Pete, also I thought interesting, and this is one of our ride or die picks where I did uh, pick two receivers from Seattle to combine for over 50 fantasy points. I'll have to say, I did not think it was going to be Tyler Lockett and Freddie Swain. I did think it was going to be more of a Lockett and D.K. Metcalf combo, but Seattle, I think, is going to be game for these shootout type environments. Pete and I think that's something that week in week out I think you have to have some Seattle exposure just because they're letting Russ cook the run game is looking solid enough to open up the pass game and I think uh, Seattle you know depends on the matchups they're going to have week to week but moving forward I think they're always in the hunt to me as being a, a low owned stack that people probably can't afford that easily in DFS just because you do have Lockett you do have Metcalf being priced so highly yeah, uh, I think this is, it's so encouraging uh, what we're seeing from Seattle in their play calling. And it kind of also goes to show like Chris Carson looks good too. Like you can have your cake and eat it too. Like you can let Russ cook and then really pick your spots for when you're feeding Chris Carson and not just make it some ideological identity thing. And then, you know, Russ is all neutered. So seeing this, I think we're headed toward massive seasons for both Lockett and Metcalf. Obviously, Lockett off to the faster start, but you're going to see you know, a secondaries adjust the, you know, they're going to go into next week and be like, we can't let Lockett beat us. And then Metcalf gets loose and they, they have more secondary weapons. I, I think Gerald Everett's talented. And if Freddie Swain uh, is the guy here with D Eskridge out the rookie, uh, he looks fine too. And we've seen it in years past, you know, David Moore was always the third wide receiver there. That was getting a decent amount of work as that third option. So yeah, I'm excited about this team. I think they're going to be the perfect GPP team for a while because Russ always is going to come in slightly less projected than your Kyler Murray's, your Josh Allen's. And then on top of it, the field never knows which Lockett or Metcalf to play. And since their salaries are normally elevated, the field kind of has to choose one because the premium double stack is pretty restricting. So I just think they set up as this awesome GPP team. And uh, I hope we get to get that uh, for the rest of the year. Also, they're playing Minnesota this week, and the over-under in this game is 55 already. So this is one, I mean, we saw Arizona, I think we could segue to that next, but we saw Arizona really kind of throw all over them. And, and I'm going to give you the credit here, Pete, because I questioned this guy. Rondale Moore played about 50% of the snaps. I haven't seen the full snap count, so that's just off the top of my head what I saw from some of the reports yesterday. Seven catches, 114 yards, and a touchdown on eight targets. A.J. Green scored a touchdown. Hopkins scored a touchdown. This Minnesota defense, first of all, I think is going to give up a lot of production, so that's the first thing to point to you. But Arizona, I'll give you your chance, Pete. Victory lap, Rondale Moore, you want, because you have been there all year long. I have concerns about the overall routes he's running. Just There's so many bodies in the room, but at a certain point, like the production per snap for him, in two weeks, very limited sample size, but he has been there with anybody you can point to in the league in terms of just pure personal production. Yeah, and I, I think you're, uh, my kind of thesis on the Cardinals is what they're going to alternate like two of these guys having big games, you know, each week. Last, last week, it was Christian Kirk and DeAndre Hopkins. This week, it was Rondell and then kind of AJ Green and Nuke kind of splitting that secondary production, Kirk the odd man out. Um, I just think this offense is going to score so many points and put up so many plays that these guys are all going to have good seasons on the whole. The thing you love about Rondell Moore is what he's doing after the catch. I mean, he looks legitimately dynamic with the ball. I would like to see some stats on how many uh, missed tackles he's forcing uh, just kind of with his elusiveness. So I think he's going to be very exciting. And it's, it's a perfect fit 
for this offense because Cliff still doesn't want to be pushing the ball downfield too much. Uh, he likes doing this stuff at the line of scrimmage. So that doesn't really work when you're throwing the ball to Keyshawn Johnson and Demir Bird at the line of scrimmage. But when you're throwing it to Rondell Moore, uh, he's going to make those plays look much better. He has 14.3 yards after the catch so far for Rondale Moore. It's actually interesting yards per catch numbers for all the receivers who are getting meaningful run here. So Hopkins, Kirk, Moore, and Williams. I guess I'm going to omit AJ Green from this one because he's just not on my screen for this play or this portion of things. But all these guys over 11 yards per catch, which is a pretty amazing number here. And I think shows that actually all these guys over 13 yards per catch. Now that I'm looking at it between Hopkins, Kirk, Moore, and Max Williams. Like that's something noteworthy here where Arizona historically has more of a run first team. And I think we're kind of seeing let Kyler cook more than it seems like the media is not really covering this at all. But I do think this passing offense, like I agree, Cliff wants to run, but they're going to open it up enough. Like these guys, maybe not there every week, but there's going to be an outlier probably every single week. Yeah, I wonder if the odd man out, though, uh, is going to be James Conner with just how mm. up-tempo and pass-heavy they're playing. And you, James Conner might end up with the kind of Devin Singletary, Zach Moss thing from last year where Kyler's rushing in so many touchdowns with those naked bootlegs and, and whatever that he might be the odd man out. I still think he's going to fall into the end zone a decent amount of times just because I think they're going to live in the red zone this year but as of right now he's the one guy on the cardinals that i drafted a bunch of that i am a little worried about his production i'm a little worried about aj green's production moving <laughs> forward personally you should have been worried well before the start of the season about that he had a touchdown pete i don't know it's got to count for something in this workaday world but clearly i think Moore and kirk should probably be playing over him and and i guess maybe hopkins should be playing over aj green at this point in his career yeah maybe. Uh, i mean aj green like you can the stuff he does well, he still does well. Like his hands are incredible. He has precision route running, but he's he's not giving you anything after the catch. He's not really separating yeah. from defenders, but I think he can definitely uh, perform for your best ball teams this year. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. The other big performance of the week at wide receiver, that was not AJ Green. Cooper Cup, nine catches, 163 yards, two touchdowns on 11 targets. Robert Woods lurking with nine targets of his own, but clearly did much less. Uh, Daryl Henderson also got hurt in this game. So uh, Pete was kind of an ugly one with Indianapolis and the Rams overall where a Stafford I thought could have a really an outlier pass performance day. He didn't. He just instead created one for Cooper Cup. But I thought that game, I don't know. I don't know if it exposed anything about the Rams, but maybe exposed a little bit how fragile it is where if Cooper Cup gets hurt, I don't know, this offense runs. If Henderson is out, you're going to get Sonny Michelle playing a lesser version of it. Like there's some risk here to the Rams, but boy, if they get and operate anything like this and get better as the season goes on, they could be really uh, like Rams, Arizona to me is a game to start marking on the calendar now. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, my comparison for this team this year was this year's version of the Bucks, where you have the new stud quarterback come in with some existing great weapons. And you saw last year, like the Bucks were a little rocky at the start of the season. They had some rough losses, too. So I think there is room here to grow. Like you said, back to back weeks of Cooper Cup having 38 percent target shares, which is just a massive target share. I assume if you looked at most projection systems, they probably would have had him in like 23 to 25% range, just assuming Woods and Tyler Higby would be, would be getting a decent amount of those. Higby is a guy I'm excited to go back to in DFS. If we get low ownership, he played all the snaps again. I, I'm not an all 22 film grinder, but I assume it was just more fluky variants of why he didn't see more targets. And uh, even Woods's usage was good. He had uh, eight targets, two rush attempts. So I think there's going to be plenty to go around here. Uh, but clearly Matt Stafford loves Cooper Cup.
And another team here that I would say is more of a surprise that we just have to talk about Denver. I think the question I'm going to ask is Denver legit, but let's talk about some of the numbers too. Teddy Bridgewater saw our pal John Daigle from NBC Sports Edge talking about it today. At least six deep throws in his last two games, which I think might be more than he had for entire months when he was the Saints backup quarterback playing that role. Um, but it's a team, Pete, where he is doing what he was supposed to do. And if anything is doing it better than he did in Carolina last year, where he did kind of hurt the overall production uh, for guys like Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore week to week, where they're fantastic people. PPR, but not finding the end zone and maybe not having as much deep ball success. But we saw Sutton, the outlier day of all outlier days, nine catches, 152 yards and a TD on 12 targets. And I think, you know, coming back from injury, that's got to give you a big, a big feeling of confidence overall. But the bigger feeling of confidence to me is just that Teddy can do this and create this kind of production while still giving a decent day to Tim Patrick and a Noah fan. Yeah, I mean, I think it's time to put a nail in that narrative of, you know, Teddy Bridgewater not being a deep ball thrower. You know, last week he was chucking bombs to Hamler. This week it was to Sutton. So, yeah, they got the play action going. Teams have to respect the running game. I mean, when you have a generational talent like Spags' guy, Melvin Gordon, they're splitting snaps with a rookie. Uh, you know, it opens up things uh, deep for Cortland Sutton. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about this offense. It's still a huge bummer to lose Judy. But Tim Patrick's solid, uh, Noah Fant is solid, and it's just great to see Sutton back to being healthy uh, because he was really good two years ago when he broke out last year the being the lost season, and now he kind of has a full runway for an increased target share without Judy. Yeah, and I would say too, it's worth pointing out, even though Pete would love to love some mock me for it. Melvin Gordon, Javante Williams, and a firm 50-50 split. It feels like if one of them gets hurt, you probably have to feel pretty good about the remaining guy. And and I think Pete, there's a chance here Javante Williams hits that rookie wall and we see Melvin Gordon Frank Gore's way to usefulness down the stretch. And that's really my big hope. Yes. It's not the uh the old veteran hitting the wall, it's the rookie hitting that classic wall there it's with hard the tired legs. He's coming from college. He wasn't getting hit this hard at UNC. He went to UNC, right? I think that sounds right. Yeah, and I hear you You actually call him sleepy boy Javante Williams, right? <laughs> he He's known. He can't stay up for all of Sunday night football, sleepy boy Javante. <laughs> that same game, LaVisca Chenault avoided serious injury to his shoulder. So good news for, for Pete, I guess, or maybe not. Uh, but he may be out. We'll see how that goes. I think their expectation is he'll be able, able to play, but uh, nothing serious. So who knows? James O'Shaughnessy looked pretty good in that week one start and actually started off pretty well in week two as well. Had one catch for I think 24 yards Then he got hurt. He's going to be out four to six weeks. And the question I'm going to ask Pete, and this is one where I have to say I'd adjust my priors a little bit. I thought urban Meyer would come in and kick some ass and kind of, you know, really start to, you know, define the program in the way that I had hoped as a USC alum that he might do for our school, though. It seems like he'll be staying in Jacksonville for the future moving forward. But Trevor Lawrence, 118 yards on 14 for 33. Nobody besides Marvin Jones, over 10 fantasy points. Like they're looking hapless in a way. I just personally wasn't prepared for it. Yeah, I, I do think the Broncos are going to, you know, give offenses some trouble uh, this year just because they're I think they're an above average defense. But yeah, this was not an encouraging one. Uh, Visca also kind of falling into that Tua territory where it's like every time you think like we got everything lined up for the pieces to come together, then he gets hurt or, you know, there's some kind of extenuating circumstance that prevents him for, from fully producing. So that's a big bummer there. Uh I think Marvin Jones and DJ Chark continue to kind of look solid. I think it's just a rookie bump for Trevor Lawrence. I think he's going to be, I think he's going to be fine. I'm not too concerned about this offense. And, and like you said, uh, it was nice to see urban Meyer not be quite a donkey this week, giving way more touches to James Robinson than Carlos Hyde, which was like a legitimate concern after last week of like, you cannot have Hyde in the good side of a 60, 40 split with James Robinson. So uh, maybe this team is trending in a, in a better direction. 
Yeah, I don't, I'm kind of prepared for either outcome here. I'm prepared for Urban to quit after a month. I'm prepared for them to end up being seven and and I guess seven and ten is what it would be this year. Um, like there's a lot of ways here that I think it could not work out, but maybe they do kind of come together down. It just it can't get much worse. So I think sometimes you just got to buy the buy the dip a little bit more here, and that could be the case of the Jags. Last item I have, and I'll turn it over to see if Pete has anything else. We'll we'll get through it here. We'll get to the waiver wire snake draft coming up next, and of course our ride or die picks for Monday Night Football Lions Packers. But uh, this last one, Robert Sala wants. Zach Wilson to be quote unquote more boring and not force the ball downfield after he threw four interceptions versus New England uh, in the same game. Denzel Mims, a healthy scratch. So we have a couple items to hit on there. But Pete, I will say for me, I get Sala being a head coach. You don't want your guys turning it over. But Zach Wilson has kind of an arrogance about how he forces the ball downfield. And and it's not going to work out if the team keeps losing and he performs badly. But I do think that kind of unwavering confidence that only a man who looks like Zach Wilson could have, <laughs> who grew up in the family that he has with the, the parents that he has, like he very much is a guy he should keep throwing that ball downfield and I will defend that to the death. But are you team Robert Sala here that just want to see Zach Wilson be a little more boring? No, uh, I'm, I'm with you. Keep letting it rip. I mean, how many times like we, I, I love the full Jameis Winston experience from Tampa where you could start Jameis Winston and the opposing defense and both would be good <laughs> plays. Like that's my kind of quarterback. So Zach Wilson, don't listen to this. Keep chucking it. We just got to get your, your best receiver Denzel Mims back on the field and then everything will be fine. <laughs> yeah, that's poor. Do you think Denzel Mims is on the cusp of being released? By the way, I, I feel like we're waiting for a news item where he's like, I'm just ready to play somewhere else. And he's going to be on some somebody's practice squad and then that's going to be the end of the Denzel Mims story yeah it's I mean it's a pretty he did he did get on the field week one with both of those guys out but then uh this past week uh kind of a tough scene with Crowder out and then not getting on the field uh is is not a good look for Denzel Mims well, he, yeah, he was a straight up inactive too, yeah. which I think is even, even a worse sign. At least they could have kept them on the game day roster, but I think they put a uh, Jeff Smith ahead of him running some routes. So that's some, some worrisome signs here for the Denzel Mims stock, but you know, maybe Zach Wilson, I think the main thing for me, if Zach Wilson is going to be unafraid, doing the, throwing the ball downfield at some point, he's going to get the results with the, the group that he has. And um, Corey Davis too, coming down to earth here. You know, I think that could have been expected a little bit more with some of the guys coming back into the mix, but he'll have better days as well. Anything else, Pete, you had in your notes that you want to hit on here. I feel like we're, we're, as we talk about last week we're going to be as robust for these kind of breakdowns and i think maybe we'll, we'll, we'll gamify it a little bit more for next week but i feel like there's so much news to hit on here i wanted to be doing a disservice if we didn't really dwell on every single game and give people the the best possible information that we have yeah the only other things that stood out uh would be uh zeke elliott and tony pollard tony pollard outproduced Ezekiel elliott again they were kind mm. of in a 50 50 uh rush share this week uh JJ Zacharyson pointed out that Ezekiel Elliott's target share did go up a smidge, which I guess is, is good for him. Um, what else? The 49ers, all three running backs uh, are hurt right now. So we're going to have to see how that backfield shakes out going forward. And then, I mean, we, are we doing a special segment on Cordero Patterson over Mike Davis, or do you want me to talk about that? Now? I think we just kind of, you know, grafted onto the waiver wire snake draft to be my thoughts, but it is uh Cordell Patterson is legitimately, I mean, Ian Hart, it's, we got to give our pal a lot of credit here for really beating the drum, but Cordell Patterson might be, I would say a better running back than Mike Davis, at least in that offense. And he might be better running back than at least the top 50% of the league right now. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, the whole thing that's frustrating about it is even how they're using both of these guys. Like it was the same thing week one where they're down big and they're running I formation carries to these guys. And it's just like, what the hell are we doing? Uh, we were on the tilt space last night and uh, we needed production from Ridley 
and, and Pitts in a couple of our lineups and just tilting Arthur Smith, who looks like a total fraud right now as, as far as being billed as some kind of offensive genius. It's just like, you know what, like P Patterson's a fun story, but like, this is more a product of how bad the play calling is. And it's like, give yourself a chance to win when you're down, at least go out chucking and not wasting the clock with inefficient runs up the middle. Yeah, it was a weird game against Tampa Bay for them too, where they caught, they got tied up and then there were the two turnovers that led to touchdowns for Edwards. And like, that was just basically how that game went. But I don't know, like, I, I still think part of me wants to believe as somebody did like the Arthur Smith offense that he's going to get there. And I also like that came in bullish on Atlanta this year. Like, I do hope that it's just, you know, they're figuring some things out. They show some strides against a team that should be world beaters in Tampa Bay. But I agree, like overall, I, I'm worrying about the stock. I'm worrying about Mike Davis. I'll continue to ride for one more week going against the Giants. Uh, but it does seem like Cordero Patterson. Cordero Patterson probably should be the top pick in this upcoming waiver wire snake draft. We're going to get to Pete, where we go pick by pick to determine who should be uh, the waiver wire choices for everybody out there. So hit that like button if you can. And of course, go check us out on Apple Podcasts, five stars and review on there. We'll give you a chance to be a guest here on Splash Play talking about Mike Davis and making me feel bad about myself. So I'm sure I can't wait for that one. But Pete, I'll let you get the first pick once again, because I'm curious just to see where you go. You went Cordero in the thumbnail. We also have some Niners backs you can maybe take. There's a lot of options here on the waiver wires. What what threshold did we decide for available in percentage of leagues? I think it was initially under 20%. Um, they had to be available in at least 80% of leagues. I think. It, yeah, I think, I think that's fair. Um, yeah, this week isn't as much of a slam dunk as last week. I thought Mitchell, you know, is pretty head and shoulders uh, above the rest. So this one is a little tough, but I will sneak this one in because uh, Rondell Moore is available in 80.7% of leagues. So I will go ahead and say Rondell Moore is an awesome ad. I think... Uh, he, he looks a lot better in PPR, I think, just because he is going to get so many of those shallow targets. But then you see yesterday, he does have the potential to get loose with the big play. So uh, Rondell Moore should not be on any waiver wires, much less 80% of them. So uh, pick up Rondell if you haven't yet. So I will go. I think that's a perfectly solid choice, Rondale. I think I even I being down on him right now, I've seen enough in the two weeks here. I wish you were getting, you know, a lot more snaps, but that's not going to be the case for now. Uh, but I think with what he's done, hard to argue him being the number one guy. For me, I think this guy is also being slept on too much. Apparently available in 99% of leagues, people not buying the week one showing. But KJ Osborne, I think I'm officially a believer in. I think it could be an issue when Irv Smith gets back in the mix, but that's for farther enough down the line here that I don't think we have to sweat it too much. And I feel like his routes run, he's basically running 10 less routes per game than Dylan and uh, Justin Jefferson. And to me, you know, that says like, yeah, it's not great. Like he's not right there with these guys, but he's had a hundred percent catch rate. That's not going to hold up, I think, but overall just him being out there that much and being productive when he's getting the ball. I'm, I don't know if he's going to have games like yesterday, every single time out, but the target outlay Pete feels pretty good. And Osborne, I don't know if it holds again, once Irv Smith is back, but for now, for this next month, I think taking Osborne seems like a good move. If you do have a, a pretty crappy wide receiver three. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think uh, take advantage of Irv Smith being out because they're they're staying similarly condensed as they were when it was the two wide receivers in the tight end, uh, and now they've just shifted it over to the three wide receivers, but still not really working in uh, much else. Uh, this was a little game theory on me. I knew there was no chance you were going to take Cordell Patterson with your. Wait, but I get back to back. That's no, <laughs> don't do it. You can't. You'll be a fraud. 
So here's the thing. I think if you're like me, you invested in Mike Davis. Here's what you could do to cover oh your Mike boy. Davis little your little Mike Davis butt. You can go to Cordero Patterson, the man who's on the thumbnail of this very video. Take him in the second round of the state of a snake draft, a great place to get him on the fab wire for probably you know 10 bucks. I think it'd be good. But Cordero Patterson doing a little bit of everything. And I would say, Pete, a slam dunk pick for me here on the turn. <laughs> I'm tilting, uh, but hopefully, how much were you tilting when you saw I put Cordero Patterson on the thumbnail? I I knew. I mean, I feel like the theme fits. Wayne Gallman's been on the thumbnail. He hasn't played a snap this year, so I think it does fit. But, you know, I, I guess I'm just happy for Cordero Patterson to get the moment. I'll choose to focus on the positives. I like, uh, you know, it's like, you know, the, the passive aggressive things you do in a relationship, you know, with your significant other. And my way of being passive aggressive against you is through guys I put on the thumbnail. <laughs> like, I mean, you put me in my place. I see Coral Daryl there looking like a man. I'll tell you who doesn't deserve a thumbnail now and probably for the next month is Mike Davis. <laughs> um, Joshua, you, you are truly the world's biggest Julio Jones fan. This is a waiver wire segment. Um, and last I checked, Julio is not available in more than 80% of the ESPN leagues. So we're going to have to shelve that. But to your credit, he looked good yesterday and he got absolutely robbed on that touchdown. That was a mm -hmm. touchdown that they agree. Pick him up though. If you can get him, I think yeah, if, you if, can, you can if you can get Julio Jones in your league, play that league until you die. Yeah. I should have put him <laughs> on the thumbnail. Uh, uh, let's, uh, let's bounce around a little bit. Let's, let's do a quarterback here. Derek Carr. Uh, if you need a quarterback, he's available in 83.5% of ESPN leagues. Shout out to Sam Wallace over at Rotoviz. Uh, he writes the uh, the waiver wire column for them, also doing a version of it in the Fantasy Life newsletter that will be out tomorrow. And he pulls in all this ESPN data that we're tailing. Uh, Derek Carr has looked really good. Uh, it seems like he has more weapons at his disposal that he's ever had, especially with kind of rugs and Edwards ping ponging back some good games. And um, yeah, two back to back good performances against tough defenses. And uh, yeah, 380 passing yards on a short week against the Steelers is impressive to me. And we saw last year, this team had the propensity to get into shootouts you know, John Gruden kind of wrestles with, you know, am I a Josh Jacobs, you know, pound the ball team. But especially when Josh Jacobs isn't, you know, healthy, it, it's wheels up for Derek Carr. I think, too, it helps him that Waller is looking like the best version he's been in the league so far. And I think probably the closest approximation to, to Travis Kelsey we have in the league. So I think that's definitely going to help him out. But I agree, Carr. I think the Raiders defense also being shitty, like he's going to be in a lot of positive game scripts. So uh, savvy pick here if you are weak at QB and you get one more on the turn here, Pete. Yeah, Willis is very upset. Oh. Willis here. now now officially, but Willis has always been our accountant, but now uh, now he's part of the the team here formally. So I feel like I, we need. To... Did you reach out to him because I haven't reached out to Willis? Oh, I thought yet. you did. I thought that's why he's still on the ball. <laughs> I haven't, Willis. I owe you. Willis, a what a way to find out! Congratulations, yeah. we're giving Willis, you money. We're gonna make you a formal offer as our accountant <laughs> that I meant to message you and forgot. This is how I just I was like, wow, Willis is still on the ball with Ryder Dye picks. He really Pete must have told him, but they had a great chat. Nope, but this is back. This is how Willis gets the fun. I forgot. Lots going on, uh, Willis. Uh, we will we will touch base with you. Um, man, this is a a very gross week. I will go. Um, I'll go with. Uh, Chuba Hubbard as a running back stash behind McCaffrey. We saw McCaffrey get banged up and leave the game a little bit. And the whole kind of debate has been, would Chuba Hubbard be kind of the one for one replacement in the way Mike Davis was for him last year. And I think so far the usage is kind of hinting at that um, based on him coming in and spelling McCaffrey. And I just think it's, it's such a valuable role. And now that we don't have any concerns 
uh, about that offense, really, with Sam Darnold. It seems to be humming. I do think Chuba Hubbard is like the premier handcuff stash. And because he doesn't have like standalone value right now, I don't think he's going to sneak on to a lot of rosters. Like Kenny Gainwell, I was adding him in a lot of redraft leagues because he has a standalone pass catching role right now. But Chuba's a little more sneaky. Uh, and if you have the roster spots for him, I think he's a, a great bench stash. I was looking at him too. Like once they were massaging McCaffrey's calf on the sideline, I was like, Ooh, that's not good. Cause I'm pretty sure that was his injury last year. Right. Was his calf. Yeah. Yeah. So I would like, I, to me, I, I agree. Like he's worth the speculative ad. And, and also I have to ask the question, are we, is it, is it Chuba or is it Chuba? It's Chuba. I, I was corrected early on in the, uh, this off season. Cause I always said Chuba, but it's Chuba. Really? I guess it makes, cause it is spelled like Chuba. So I guess it does make sense, but I just assumed it was like Chuba Hubbard, like Chubby Hubby. And they were just probably big Ben and Jerry's fans. Yeah. Sleepy boy, Pete and Chuba. <laughs> Chuba Hubbard. <laughs> you win this one. You and Chuba can go and take a nap together <laughs> to celebrate. Um, I will go a different direction here because I, I actually was planning on taking Hubbard. So I will take, um, man, I, I'm going to go carry on Johnson. I feel like we've talked enough about the Elijah Mitchell to Michael Hasty portion of things. But now we have all the running backs hurt for San Francisco. And I think there's some pathway to them not playing or being limited in effectiveness. And carry on Johnson lurking on that practice squad. I think this is one, again, I would still take Hasty over him. I'm just going to, for the sake of being different here, I will take the carry on Johnson in the hopes that somebody's got to run this ball for the Niners, a team that loves to run the ball. And at this point, Pete, it's it's like, it's funny. It's not funny. I feel bad that all these guys are getting hurt, but for a team that loves to run the ball, they have no running backs left at all. No, they, they don't. It is, it is so gross what happened uh, to them. And, and unfortunate from a fantasy perspective, it, because there is still so much value in this backfield that I realize it's frustrating, but just keep taking stabs on it because they can legitimately support two fantasy running backs a game. And it's just so wide open right now. And then my last pick here for the turn, then Pete gets one more. I'll take, uh, actually, yeah, I'll take Freddie Swain. I don't think he's going to be quite in this level, you know, moving forward, but DK Metcalf apparently might be a little bit banged up. That could open some opportunity for Swain and Swain's been productive whenever he's getting the routes. We also don't have David Moore in the mix, taking those targets away. So I think Swain is until Eskridge gets back. And even with that, I think Swain's probably the pretty clear cut wide receiver three. And I think has uh, proven himself as a deep ball guy. He's going to be effective time to time. I wouldn't play him over probably guys who are getting more steady workloads, but if you get Metcalf, out i think swain's one of those guys who could rotate in and i'm want to take that stab on the upside all right choose for the people should i give them a wide receiver that i think is actually a good stash or should we just mix up and give the people at least one tight end even if it's super gross i think a wide receiver if, if, if they're like struggling at tight end i mean you could maybe give it as an honorable mention but i do think that I, I, the more practical move is gonna be a wide receiver yeah let's go with uh he might fly a little bit under the radar just because he played on thursday but diami brown looked really good uh for washington and i think he's another one of those guys like you mentioned with rondell like ideally you want to see more snaps from him but things tend tend to trend positively in the direction for rookies where if they're on the field they're efficient early they earn more work and i think that's what we're starting to see from diami brown here he's just looked good he's earning some targets the the fly in the ointment is you do have curtis samuel eventually coming back but I, man, if I have to make bets on Curtis Samuel staying healthy, uh, I'm probably going to bet against that. And I think Diami Brown is probably the best way to do that. And if he can continue to flash while he has this opportunity, I think he could be a guy that uh, really comes into his own in the fantasy playoffs. 
Yeah, Diami Brown actually leading the team in air yards per target right now, more than uh, Terry McLaurin's getting, even though McLaurin, as we talked about on Thursday, looked like a great play, ended up coming to fruition. But Diami definitely has the room to be useful. And our guy Willis here, so emboldened by this job offer he got live on the show. <laughs> it's getting uh, pushing for man hurts here, filling in for all Shaughnessy. I, I get it. I don't know if I want to tether any more to that Jacksonville offense, but I think he's certainly going to get more snaps. Uh, yeah, Josh asking about Edwards. I think Edwards is right there, uh, similar yeah. to kind of Diami as, as a stash there that you can add. And he, he looked very good and correlates very well with the Derek Carr pickup. If you're trying to make a bet on that offense, uh, Manhurts wasn't even the one I was thinking of, but that was because, Max Williams? uh, yeah, I was going to say Max okay. Williams, but Manhurts is a good suggestion with O'Shaughnessy out for a decent amount. The problem was, is they primarily use him as a blocking tight end. He did have that receiving touchdown week one, but uh, the question is, do they bring someone else in and Manhurts stays in the same role or do they expand Manhurts' role? I think Swain ends up getting a little more, or Jeff Swain gets a little more in the in the work of the passing game here because I think he's historically been more that guy, but yeah, I think it, it's a question still and it's probably not a high volume thing. Like O'Shaughnessy was going to get volume just because he's a unique player, but make your case for Max Williams though because I actually think that's an interesting one and I think he's kind of getting, weirdly, he's getting the work that it seemed like Dan Arnold should have gotten last year and I think that bodes well for Max, but not so well for Dan Arnold. Yeah, I mean, the Cardinals and the Bills are kind of similar in that they have these high-flying offenses that de-emphasize the tight end position. Knox uh, in Buffalo sometimes gets there with touchdowns like he did on Sunday. But it is fairly interesting that Max Williams had seven targets for 94 yards. And he's still going to be a bit of a roller coaster start. But like when you're just when you're picking up a tight end on the waivers because of whether injury or a bye week fill-in. I mean, you at least want to target some situations with decent upside. And if the thesis is the Cardinals are going to be scoring 40 plus points a game and Max Williams is out there on the field for most of those snaps and has shown the ability to, you know, earn seven plus targets. Uh, I think that's pretty intriguing in that offense. It's kind of how I feel about Dalton Schultz, too. Uh, where I just like want pieces of those high flying offenses. Some questions in the chat too. We're going to do the ride or die picks right after this, but historical anomaly saying, haven't heard the extent of the RB injury sounds gross, but wonder if they consider Todd Gurley. I mean, given that the Ravens picked up every other veteran running back out there, I, I guess that's in play, but it did seem like them going to carry on means. I think he's the guy that they probably see something in that they could tap into. Yeah. Um, I, nothing gets Spags more excited than the prospect of a, a washed up dusty veteran running back becoming fantasy. Todd relevant. Gurley's knees rubbing like this yeah. <laughs> every single play. No, no, thank you. Um, and Josh uh, asking here, is it time to drop Visca Pete? What do you think? Uh, we need to see what the, uh, the report is on how long he's out. I mean, I would say Visca's in that territory where if Visca was, were to miss more than three to four weeks, I think. I think he's a drop. If he's one to two weeks, I'm probably holding. It's going to be a good game script for Jacksonville. You would think going against Arizona and Arizona should put up some points. So I would hold on if you can, though. I do think, I mean, I said in the preseason, I think Marvin Jones is the one that you can sort of tap in as being the guy who's going to get production week to week, but I wouldn't give up on Visca, even though I love ribbing Pete over Visca. I think you got to hang in him and shark, just hang in and hope they're a better day. Same thing. James Robinson. Somebody asked about dropping him. Don't drop James Robinson. Like if anything, there's more encouraging signs for him besides just the offense being terrible. Yeah, uh, I I'm in a dark place about Visca. Although many are saying Rondell Moore is my new Visca, so we move on quickly. <laughs> He's honestly uh, the most the highest level version of everything you wanted Visca to be. If I had to say, you know, it, and that is the thing. Like he is, you know, the guy that's the low A dot, but exciting. You know, after the catch guy. Uh, but he just happens to be in a much much more friendly fantasy environment than Visca right now.
All right, so it's time for Ride or Die Picks. So help us out, guys. Hit the like button if you're watching on Peach channel or on the Splash Play channel. We appreciate you either way, but hit that like button. And uh, let's talk about the Ride or Die Picks. And Pete ended up being something of a barn burn. And we continued the pattern here where we made up a game, gave it very esoteric rules, and then guests come on and they get steamrolled, Pete, as Pat Corain. Only one thing right here, good for three points. And in fact, you scored 20 more points than your good pal, handsome Pat Corain. Yeah, uh, Pat, you know, you could tell that he got caught up in the moment. He started going pretty crazy. Let me pull up the uh, the picks here so the people can see uh, our picks. And uh, yeah, uh, although, I, what what was the what were the totals? What did I finish with, Spag? So you finished with 23 points. You got two 10-pointers and a three-pointer. Uh, your three-pointer, Tyler Boyd, did outscore Joe Mixon, so that also hurt me. You leveraged against me, got three points. That actually ended up being the difference maker between us. And then you had a 10-pointer for Rondale Moore, highest-scoring Cardinals non-QB, and another 10-pointer for Tony Pollard, outscoring Ezekiel Elliott. So you got three things right, and that ended up good for 23 points. Yeah, it was funny because I think someone, this troll here. Yeah, the guy you can see on the screen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he doesn't follow either of us, I don't think, or Splash Play. He's just looking for people giving picks and then giving snarky responses. I actually think I recognize his handle, but maybe not. It's hard to tell. Uh, yeah, it was very rough going in the 1 p.m. and then uh, really started to hit uh, in the late slate. Yeah, the two things I hit in the late slate. So Pete and I both hit two 10 pointers in the late slate. And I, I did give, as you can see, my snarky reply <laughs> on the screen about should have waited till the afternoon slate because because we combined for four things correct amongst us. But um, I had Mike Williams, highest scoring pass catcher in the Chargers Cowboys game. Another good showing for Mike Williams. And then two Seattle pass catchers combined for 50 plus DK points. So I got 20 points here, Pete. You had your big 10 pointer week, but you know what? You're still behind me on the year. You know what? You hate to see it. And uh, I uh, no, these were these were some nice picks in there. And I think like when you look at uh, some of the uh, the calls, I think we were we were on the right track with these. I think we're getting warmer. The Mike Williams one, like I think the issue is honestly when we just get too cute with like what we're doing, where I probably could have gotten 10 points for Mike Williams scores two touchdowns. And instead I'm like, I want to negotiate with Pete and I'll go 110 yards and he'll do 115 and I could do one like 112.5. Like the 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 rubric of the game itself, I feel like makes us ruin everything that we could be doing well. We could, uh, but that's what makes us so great. That's true. That is what brings the people joy so they can act like we're like we're shitheads, even though we had a lot of great thesis plays, I'll tell you <laughs> what. But Pete, we got to do Monday Night Football here. We got Detroit getting 18.5 implied points. Green Bay, a 30-point favorite here. Uh, the Edge Sports line does have it closer to eight points, so maybe a good spot to take Detroit to cover, and I kind of do believe that one overall. But Pete, pick whatever you want here, and of course, we do prefer the showdown captains because it is a showdown tournament tonight. Yeah, this is going to be a fun one. I will put in a little plug. I'm going to do a showdown uh, cram tonight uh, on my channel. If you guys want to swing by at 7.30 to uh, talk this slate. Um, you know what? I, I think uh, I want to go back to DeAndre Swift. I, I think even myself included have been spooked by the groin injury. And it seems like, you know, it pops up, you know, he misses practice, he's questionable. And then he just comes out and plays awesome. At least he did in week one. So I want to keep riding the DeAndre Swift train here. I think he is fairly game script proof. Even if they get down, I think he's going to catch a ton of balls. So I'm going to go DeAndre Swift, uh, winning showdown captain. So I am going to go. All right. I, I, it's tough because I do think the best choice here for a showdown captain is going to be TJ Hawkinson. And I think, 
I think that's who I want to pick, but I, I also feel like I, I kind of want to go for the gusto and go Quintez Cephas, who was getting a lot of intended touches in his limited snaps, and he should be running more with Williams out. But Hawkinson, I think, is going to be the safe one here. I did have the 11 targets in week one. I feel like he's the one pass catcher in Detroit you could probably trust. So I'll go that way. But I think Pete, we're in agreement, though. Like It feels to me like a Detroit person being showdown captain seems like the most likely option. Yeah, I agree. I, I was looking at uh, the sim results and, and DeAndre Swift is showing up in a little more than Hawkinson, probably just because he's 1200 cheaper. And it's mm-hmm. just a little harder, I think, at the higher price tag to end up there as much. Although the sims are saying we're both wrong in that uh, Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams are most likely to be captains. That checks out. I mean, the QBs are always going to be the highest, but I feel like that's the one that doesn't work out practically because yeah. of the way the lineup construction works and all that. But yeah, like to me, I would, if I were playing show, I mean, I am playing showdown tonight i will greatly mute my aaron Rodgers exposure because he's going to be owned out the ass and i just don't think he should be owned that much a captain because you're going to be if he does win a captain he's going to be you're chopping with so many more people than if you go with any of his past captains like go with mvs at captain i think that's a more viable move yeah um that sounds crazy but i do agree with the rogers air yards king (laughs) one of the top air yards guys pete in week one it's got to pay off that's that's how we know air yards works eventually they pay off once and then never pay off again Yep, it's uh, like the old poker uh, Skolansky box. As long as you get it in good, it doesn't matter if you lose. There you go. So we appreciate all of you guys for tuning in. Of course, make sure to follow at Splash Play Pod. We follow back everybody on Twitter and Instagram for that one. So go do that. Make sure to give us five stars and a review on Apple Podcasts because we're giving away guest spots on here starting next Thursday. We'll have our first one. So go get in there now. Even if you put a review in before, just update it, put in your handle. We'll reach out to you. You are our winner. And we're going to have probably all of you on throughout the course of the season. So just get those reviews in. Help us out. Help yourself out by, I don't know, getting all the exposure, all this, boy, this wonderful exposure that's doing so much for all of us pete uh you mentioned the showdown cram you have coming up later any other plugs you want to hit on besides people following you at peter Overset? yeah uh don't forget to get those itunes reviews in as well we'll do that giveaway uh for guest spots and uh, two randomizer boxes also i uh the deposit kingdom gpp is live for this week i just posted the link in the discord in the announcements channel so anyone who wants to join that ten dollar 200 man and uh i got third last week so you guys all have to hunt me down Ooh, there you go this look at this guy here on a run here finishing third in his own tournaments boy what what a king of, of all content out there follow at peter Rubbers at follow at chris fags and go check out football outsiders at footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe uh dvoa you'll hear it quoted in all the shows across the industry that's important for you just to have it as a frame of reference to know those matchups get stronger as it goes on through the first few weeks of the season so go footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe we'll see you guys again on thursday 2 30 eastern 11 30 pacific so enjoy your weeks and, and go live Lions pass catchers for showdown tonight.